everybody. This is Kirby Shabaga. This is Nero Vasai. And along with our program director, Stephen Chu, I'm Vinay Narayan, and welcome to XRC Pod, the XR Seattle podcast. In episode five, we'll go deeper on eye tracking and discuss how eye tracking is expanding the adoption of spatial computing. If eye tracking is new to you, check out episode four, where we've covered the background of technologies as well as data security and user privacy. In this episode, we'll focus on eye tracking, solving friction points for spatial compute adoption. Yeah, one, one thing I think our listeners should realize is that it's still very early days for augmented reality. We all wanna have the superpower. We've all got uh, ideas of how we can benefit from it, but the fact of the matter is, it's still a really difficult problem uh, technology-wise. And we need to realize that as we're going through some of our discussion, there are limitations, there are challenges. And my opinion is that we need to be very, very focused on particular use cases in order to drive business value today. Of course, you still need to do your research and be ready for when technology and services improve. Yeah, Kirby, I, I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Um, I think we should kind of get a little bit into why it's so difficult. And if we look at in, in virtual reality versus augmented reality and the way they do eye tracking, the mechanism is the same, right? But we have cameras facing in at the eye, tracking motion. And there's also cameras on the outside of the headset facing out at the world. Um, and somewhere along the lines, that uh, transfiguration needs to take place where you're matching where you look, where that eye is looking versus the real world. And in virtual reality, that's pretty straightforward because you control the whole virtual world. But in the real world, that's a little bit more difficult because you have to think about focal depth. You have to think about computer vision on what you're looking at, whether that's an object or not. And so, as you layer all the different things you're either doing and looking in the actual world and the complex um, the complexity of vision, it becomes a lot harder because you're not looking at a flat projected canvas or a uh, artificial environment like you are in virtual reality. Yeah, very valid points, guys. And I think one thing we can agree on as well is that eye tracking will fundamentally change how users interact in a headset. It will make it far more intuitive allow for more powerful yet smaller HMDs, create new audiences, and also provide unprecedented insights. And while all of those opportunities are compelling, there are hurdles to adoption of spatial computing. Um, I think when we look at what is eye tracking, it, more insights says it best or says it really well, is they describe eye tracking as capturing human attention. You know, I think there are really three immediate opportunities for eye tracking to reduce the friction for adoption of spatial computing and that's allowing the users to have gesture-free input, uh, and then also addressing user fatigue, also known as uh, reducing cognitive load, and lastly, performance, really reducing the complexity of hardware. So when we look at AR or spatial computing devices, they take in so many signals, but the most obvious to the user are gestures. And at the moment, they are rather, they are rather crude and definitely not intuitive. This is less of an immediate challenge for enterprise, but it's a significant one for general consumer adoption. And it's a question for you guys, how is eye tracking changing that? 
Vinay, I really like that quote. And I think the focus on human attention, uh, the focus on intent, eye tracking can do a really good job of isolating um, what we're focused on. There's, there's kind of levels, right? You, you perceive the world, you focus on something, your attention's grabbed, and then you express intent. And if we can reduce the amount of time it takes to uh, express intent in, in, in a similar way to using a mouse on a screen, you're perceiving it through your eyes, your mouse expresses uh, attention, the click expresses intent. And in the same way, if we can use eye tracking to essentially be that mouse moving around the screen, you capture attention, and then it's just a matter of figuring out intent, greatly improving the, the human inter um, interface. Definitely. I mean, the eye being more of a, of a mouse input, and to quote you, reduce the time it takes to express intent are all great when it comes to especially new users using crude gestures. But what about situations where you can't use your hands? I know there's some great examples of surgeons, for example, their hands are preoccupied, but they want to be able to access more information and by being able to look in the direction and not just head tracking, but actually eye tracking and looking at the specifics and being able to pull up more information or do something or um, actually express intent with your eyes is, is, is pretty profound. Um, and I know there's also some great examples in maintenance and construction as well. Yeah, so I spent a lot of my time looking at uh, AR, AR and VR, actually AR solutions for maintenance. And what's interesting about it is it, it's, an, it's an area where you are usually having your hands with tools in them. You don't want to drop the tool to look at a manual. Currently, and you think about the adoption to go from physical manuals to an augmented reality solution. They're work instructions. They're line by line. There are um, sometimes in paragraph form. These can be complex instructions. So if you think about migrating that to an augmented reality interface, um, you might be scrolling through some text. And being able to use your eyes to scroll is a great way to get through um, your content completely without having to put your, your, your tools down. Not only do you have your CAD model or your 3D uh, artifact, but you also have the text on the side that you're able to read and scroll through. Um, of course, addition of voice control on top of that to express intent even makes it so much better. So you could do your scrolling with your eyes, uh, say next page or next instruction with your with by vocalizing it. Completely an interface without having to use your, your, your hands. Those are really great examples for existing AR users and mm -hmm. reducing their dependencies on learned gestures. But you know, also as we see the need to upskill workers, both in terms of in new industries, um, as well as replacing the aging workforce and other not um, typically thought of as technical industries like HVAC and maintenance, um, and that phenomenon known as a silver tsunami, where you have a generation of those that are retiring um, and not enough capable workforce to replace those skill sets. So you definitely see a new to AR user base that uh, is gonna have to learn how to use AR at the same time learning a new skill. And both of those two things at the same time can, be, uh, can impede really the adoption of AR and spatial compute. But by reducing the dependencies on learned gestures, 
uh, by using eyes to enhance that, uh, you really help to open up uh, and speed up the adoption of spatial computing. That was a great discussion there. Uh, although I'm wondering, did we miss our talk about the consumers? Uh, consumer adoption, especially for AR. You know, currently, we don't have headsets that we can wear for, for the average folk. Uh, nobody's going to buy a $3,500 HoloLens 2. Maybe there's a fire sale on Magic Leap. However, what consumers are playing with nowadays are just mobile devices. And yeah, consumers are not in a, not a, not a well-known, consistent environment. So being able to handle, handle that, the system to know where you are and have context, that's a huge problem right there. So what do you guys think about consumer? Yeah, I think the immediate opportunity for spatial computing, um, while it will be eventually consumer, the immediate opportunity, and I'm talking about the next few years, is going to be expanding the enterprise use case. And that's going to be expanding it to users that are new to AR which can mean uh, end consumers, but really at the end of the day, those same pain points to scale adoption, to scale adoption in enterprise are gonna be things that the consumer space is going to feel as well. But AR is a little bit different and there's just still a lot more friction. And I hope that when we talk about eye tracking in those examples, by solving eye tracking for enterprise scale, you'll also solve that for uh, general consumer scale as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think uh, the di differentiation between consumer and enterprise is often just a differenti differentiation of price point, um, pr provided you have a good interface. It's not like you can deploy bad interfaces to enter enterprise enterprise, and they'll be all right. I mean, if you want to get adoption, they have to still be good interfaces. It's just enterprises are willing to pay more because they feel the pain of not having it. Um, whereas with consumer, you're selling on a nice to have. So you still, I, th I think the, the interface gains you get through eye tracking and the lessons we learned will be applied to both. Uh, recently, uh, North was in the news because they were just acquired by Google and Google still has the Google Glass that anybody can go and buy. There's no eye tracking today, but it's, been, it's going to be, I think, interesting to see what Google does with that acquisition. Have you guys followed that at all? Like as far as consumer consumer use of something like glass or north north is kind of affordable when it was out you know $500 price range i think all those examples are very promising for uh, an early entrant for the consumer space but i think it's a little premature for us to hope that anything happening from a hardware standpoint in the near term is going to solve the hardware challenge for consumers um, eye tracking is an interesting one eye tracking does solve the ux challenge but also the hardware challenge. But these examples in the opportunity to affect that change uh, really is gonna be in the enterprise space. But I think there's a big reason why consumers are also very excited about spatial computing augmented reality. And one of those reasons is spatial computing is supposed to give the user superpowers, right? It almost like it's a, it's a spidey sense. While we're still far from being um, kind of a, a spidey sense into a, uh, implementation where it's intuitive and even subconscious, uh, currently it's rather the opposite, right? So what you actually see in current augmented reality and spatial compute examples, it, this is a good example of why you need to solve this in enterprise first, 
before going to the general consumer space is that currently there is a mental fatigue or a cognitive overload. And the question is, is that a barrier for adoption to scale? So I think it is, um, namely because the, peop- the entities that are going to pay for um, augmented reality solutions are often in industries and areas where attention and focus is extremely valuable, if not a life and death situation. And you don't want to have distractions on the face of a user. So that cognitive load question is critical because you need to make sure that the content you're providing is relevant, assistive, whether it's in line in line of sight or out or in periphery and adjusted to be in the right place based on the work being performed. You think about a heads up display on a fighter jet, which is not even on your eyes, right? That's on the on on the glass. Aircraft manufacturers are extremely careful about what they put up on the projection display or projection displays in a car, right? And now apply that to a surgeon using uh, using uh, an AR headset for um, uh, operating on a patient. You want to be really careful about that. And I, I think that cognitive load question is, is critical there. Yeah, and I try to shy away a lot when I talk about use cases when it comes to space or military, primarily because you have hyper niche examples. Um, but in this case, very relevant, right? It's, I, I feel like the when it comes to the understanding of cognitive overload, um, that early study that the military has done and continues to do, it's almost like the, the discoveries that has led to the microwave. So it's very relevant. I think some of the things that I know you have a lot of experience in is what are some of the things that are measured when you look at cognitive overload and how does eye tracking or a well-designed user interface uh, help to reduce cognitive overload? So a lot of it is based on the performance of a simple task, whether that's uh, like attention tests, right? Or um, And uh, when things are happening in the periphery, does that affect performance? Or does it affect the rate of mistakes? You know, tasks that require con- concentration and focus. Now, a lot of different examples there, and I don't want to get into the, the details of each one, but you can imagine a very simple, carrying a glass, a, a hot coffee mug that's filled all the way to the rim and you don't want to spill it while going downstairs. Take, it's a simple task that requires a lot of focus and a lot of balance. Now let's say a bunch of distractions are coming up in your peripheral vision. That's an example of cognitive load. It's attention being taken away from the focus. So any kind of balancing task is actually a great example of a test for cognitive load. So when I was listening to that conversation, one thing I want to make uh, clear to the listeners is what we're talking about here. And I think there's a simple analogy to understand this. When you first got a smartphone and you started to add apps to it and you started to get notifications and it was like every five seconds, ding, ding, ding. You thought it was useful at the beginning, but then quickly you realize it's overload. It's just too much. What do I do with that information? How do I turn it off? So what we're talking about here is 
only bringing up relevant information at the right time. So ambient computing, understanding the context, understanding the user's intent, and not overwhelming them with information they just don't need. And in, in the context of eye tracking, I'd also add in the dangers around advertising in terms of capture, literally capturing eyeballs. Um, so when, when, you, when you have platforms that are tracking where people are looking and where their attention is focused, based on current monitor, monetization schemes, um, that really opens the door to eye tracking based advertising, which even further causes the problems you're talking about, Kirby. Yeah, I think the good thing is when it comes to advertising or that type of data, there's a lot of precedence in tracking um, behavior when it comes to advertising and monetizing advertising. We're seeing that in just even in, in general when it comes to digital and um, how that impacts our web buying experience and just overall experience. So a lot of those best practices you can take in. But when it comes to a lot of this emerging technology, so much of the sensors that are in VR and AR headsets, they're what you consider almost external or, or world-facing sensors. So they give you a sense of hardware awareness, but eye tracking is, uh, and aside from a controller, is one of the few things that really gets you into human awareness. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's one of the powerful things about this technology in that in the world where we have technology for the sake of technology, we oftentimes forget about the end user and oftentimes XR, well, the definition of XR is AR and VR and MR. But if you really were to think of X as the experience, as a human experience, it goes back down to the reality. And eye tracking is one of the few technologies that are out there that can make technology very relevant to the end user, meaning that you could have the information that you need when you need. In the previous episode, in episode four, we talked about how eye tracking actually works, how it actually measures intent, um, and all these various aspects that have made eye tracking not just new to XR, but a, but a place in the landscape for, for, for quite some time. And now we're actually really bringing that into some of the challenges that AR has for adoption. We talked about input, um, it being both non-intuitive, and sometimes you can't use your hands for input, and eye tracking is a great way to use eyes, which is always a, a natural input into our world. And then we also talk about when you have so much information, so much input, what does that do to the end user? And that is that cognitive or that mental, mental overload, so much information, eye tracking really helps to make that relevant. And some of the two major factors for spatial computing adoption happen to be user experience type of friction points. But the last thing is something that in, in NERV's framework of technology adoption of input output performance is really performance. And performance in the sake of spatial computing, meaning we currently have hardware that is, it's very cumbersome. It's large, it's expensive. Um, and for most end users, they wouldn't want to use it because the way that it actually looks. While spatial computing enhances a user's performance, how is eye tracking improving hardware performance that addresses some of the common hardware friction points for spatial computing adoption? Well, I mean, hardware is expensive, and especially when you think about uh, the challenges that both Microsoft and Magic Leap have gone through in uh, providing solid resolution in a wide field of view. It's 
uh, a daunting challenge. But what if you can really only render what people are looking at? So last episode, we talked about um, how foveated rendering, foveated rendering can be used to only render what's in the field of view. Now, on the AR side, that even doubles in terms of rendering uh, on the output side, uh, virtual objects in, that, in the physical world, but also on the input side as you could direct spatial sensing only to where someone's looking. So it really works on both sides, um, greatly or enabling you to do a lot more with the same hardware. Secondly, there's the bandwidth constraints. If you're only, um, you know, AR has to be connected to the cloud. And if you're only transmitting what's within the field of view, there's a, a ledger requirement on, on, on bandwidth. So along those lines, with hardware pricing, we know that as volume increases, generally the price goes down per unit. So Qualcomm has XR2, that's uh, a reference design. And I think that's really promising as we see more features become part of one component that can drive prices down rather than having separate components that need to be integrated by putting this all in one package and making it available to multiple builders. That's a real positive. Yeah, XR2 is huge, right? Um, by enabling eye tracking, you, what you really do is you take away a lot of the complexities that's needed to, to be competent, right, for eye tracking. Because one of the areas of components of eye tracking is being able to create the algorithms. And so it's, it's much more than a kind of a linear function. You have to be able to build the experience, constantly improve eye tracking algorithms, and also address the many different types of users and use cases. And that can be a very daunting task for developers and for OEMs alike. So I, I definitely do look forward to more XR2 enabled headsets, uh, especially with eye tracking and many other features. Excellent discussion, guys. There, there's so much excitement around the future of spatial computing, especially when you look at how eye tracking is really going to simplify the user experience by making it much more intuitive for the end user to interact, but also providing the information and almost that superpower capability back to the end user, but then also making the hardware simple for the end user by decoupling some of the processing and the complexity that is inherent in a lot of the spatial computing headsets, AR headsets in the market we have today. And, and so that's all the time we have today. And on behalf of Nirav, Kirby, and Steven, I'm Vinay. Thank you so much for joining us here on XRC Pod. You can find us on XRCPod.com. And until next time, see ya. Be seeing ya. See ya. <laughs>